Hey there, everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Drip Podcast, the podcast where we need movies like we need our coffee. As always, I am Scott Lentz, here with my good friend and partner in spooky movie season, Christian Ubius. Christian, another fine and spooky day here in October. How are you doing? Have you been scared recently? Any tricks or treats in your life these days? Yes, I checked my bank account recently. Very frightening. <laughs> well, Christian, I was hoping it'd be a treat, but alas, it is a trick. Fingers crossed for, for your finances that we'll get that Squarespace money, maybe that Linda Mattress money. We should start a Patreon. We'd have at least six some, people. Some Patreon money. I know. I just know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that our guy, Paul Gonzalez, would be out there signing up for our Patreon. Braxton Cody would sign up. Braxton, good friend of the show, Braxton Cody. Maybe we could muscle our friend Paul Yoder into getting on that. He lives close to us, so we could, we could physically find him and cause him to sign up. So, Paul, if you're out there there or we could just scare him in his dreams ah also a very viable solution as we are here of course to discuss a nightmare on elm street i'm so sorry everybody. <laughs> i'm ashamed of that one you you shouldn't be it was it was a it was probably one of the best segues we've ever done in this show because lord knows i'm not good with segues of course, we are here to continue. The with Lord and Christian knows you're not the good Lord at segues. And co-host and producer Christian. <laughs> we are, of course, here to continue our Slasher Classics Blend of the Month. Last week, we looked at Friday the 13th, a movie I had some appreciation for, and Christian did not really <laughs> have any appreciation for. And now we come on to what is a another episode where we will probably have a similar situation based on the fact that Christian has already seen this movie. And I'm coming into to it for the first time so christian for anybody who missed last week just refresh them on your relationship to a nightmare on elm street uh, oh i don't in. like it yes and you watched it somewhat recently correct it wasn't i watched it for i think valentine's day i watched it somewhere <laughs> sometime in february i remember and uh, yeah I don't, I don't know i think it was just a friday night or friday evening there was a lot of light out and i was like why not fired up a nightmare on elm street Just fired up a nightmare on elm street christian i know that we're not well, neither of us are really big horror people but I, I really almost can't watch horror movies outside of october what, what is it with you I mean, did you just it's were you just feeling like you need to be scared on valentine's day or <laughs> i don't I, I guess like horror movies don't really scare me anymore and i so i but they're also not my preferred genre generally and so I think it was just, you know, crossing a movie off the list because Freddy Krueger is iconic. I mean, we we can't we can't deny that. Absolutely. And I think I was in 5th grade? No, no, no. I think I was in 8th grade when the um the remake of A Nightmare on Elm Street was coming out either 2011 or 2012. And so I remember looking at the trailer and being like this is the most frightening thing I've ever seen and I didn't even watch that movie. And the idea of someone killing you by waiting for you to be asleep and then entering your dreams is a fantastic concept. And I think that's honestly partly why this movie spawned a huge franchise. Aside from the fact that, much like Friday the 13th, it was very cheaply produced and brought a uh, very sizable amount of money back. Uh, it was made for a, just above a million dollars and brought back 57 million worldwide. So again, very profitable movie. Uh, but you also have this intriguing concept and a, a instantly iconic villain in Freddy Krueger. So 
Nightmare on Elm Street would, of course, spawn a franchise, and there would, of course, be that intersection with Friday the 13th, Freddy vs. Jason, a movie that I would like to see someday, now that I <laughs> have seen the first movies in their respective franchises, but I still haven't seen Jason Voorhees kill anybody. I gotta get on that. I wanna see, what, what is it, Friday the 13th X, or Friday X? Jason, Jason X. X. Jason X. I wanna, see, I wanna see Jason Goes to Space. <laughs> I know, I, I honestly want to move through this franchise because it ends with New Nightmare, which is like, a, to my understanding, it it's is a, meta. A, a very meta commentary where Wes Craven returns, casts a lot of the same actors, Isn't what is he it, himself 10 years later. He, he himself does appear in it as, as himself, and it's like a... I think they're either making a remake, but then things start happening and Freddy Krueger becomes real in the world of the movie. I, I don't know, but it's supposed to be intriguing, especially to fans of the franchise. So maybe I'll catch up with it and get there. But uh, of course, another iconic horror villain, another huge horror franchise, and one that it was high time that I caught up with, at least seeing the original most famous movie. Okay, I know that you probably have stuff that you need to talk about in terms of background information. Get through it, because I need I need to talk about this movie. <laughs> I told for for you listeners out there, I when I was watching this movie, there were a couple of moments, most most assuredly the ending to this movie, where I, I entered into a fight or flight response, not because the movie was scaring me, but because I was anticipating Christian's reaction. <laughs> and so we'll see if my <laughs> my body keeping the score comes true here. So of course, a few a few quick details to get through. Nightmare on Elm Street was conceived by Wes Craven. He wrote and directed the original film here. Sean S. Cunningham was second unit director? Yeah, so Sean S. Okay. Cunningham, who directed Friday the 13th, Served as second unit director for only a few scenes, I think. I don't think he was with the production all the way through, but did enter in to help film some of the scenes set in Nancy's dreams. And Johnny Depp's first on-screen appearance. He's just cutting me off left and right. <laughs> yes. I mean, one of the biggest reasons this movie is still so iconic. I mean, Freddy Krueger would have done it if he had some bozo in the role, but this is Johnny Depp's very first role in a movie or anything on screen, to the best of my knowledge. He gets the introducing Johnny Depp credit. Okay, but... I wouldn't even say that. I, I would. There are movies where there's a notable actor in it, but the movie outshines a notable actor. Oh, yeah, for sure. I like, mean, Inception is not a Leonardo DiCaprio movie. Well, no. I mean, it's a Christopher Nolan movie, first and foremost. Exactly. But, yeah, just this is notable for the fact that it is Johnny Depp's first screen role. Uh, of course, he is cast alongside Heather Langenkamp, who's the star. She plays Nancy. Robert Englund, of course, playing Freddy Krueger, longtime performer of the character, with John Saxon, Ronnie Blakely, Amanda, I'm going to go with Wiss or Wise, and Jesu Garcia in supporting roles as well. Who's Nancy's mom? Nancy's mom is Ronnie Blakely. Okay. And you might recognize her if you're a cinema drip, uh, devotee out there because she was briefly covered on the show before because she was in Nashville. She was nominated for an Oscar for her role in that movie which we discussed in January of this year. I have some thoughts on Nashville. And John Saxon was also in Enter the Dragon, which we previously covered on another one of our uh, our 1970s episodes uh, when we were talking about movies from 1973. Okay. So, so some fun faces to see again. Um, the only other th key things to mention here, and just in terms of background, we already mentioned how much money it made. Uh, I just think the, the actual inception of this movie is so intriguing, and it provides a, a really interesting, I think, undercurrent to thinking about the movie. But the concept was pretty autobiographical for Wes Craven. 
Not only did he have a childhood bully named Fred Krueger, which pretty hilarious way to get back at that guy, <laughs> however many years later he's making this movie, but he also had heard these stories of, I I'm, make, want to make sure I get this pronunciation right, of the Hmong people who were refugees from Southeast Asia coming to the USA in that time of turmoil in the 60s and the 70s. And he read news stories about the, uh, these people who would come and have trouble sleeping at night. Some even experiencing some kind of illness where they would sort of suddenly die in their sleep. Young people, people who weren't expected to die in their sleep. And he sort of pulled things together from there, from reading these news stories, from being bullied by a guy named Fred Krueger, and uh, some songs from the time as well, kind of helping tie the concept all together. So, of course, that would lead Craven to develop a very dreamlike movie, very much a slasher movie, but one that is so heavily focused on dreams and their strange relationship to reality. So, on that note, Christian, I just want to jump right to your opening question. So I really am curious because you've now seen this movie twice. You've had the opportunity to sit with it. And I am i know you don't like it. And so I am going to be trying to grasp at straws here and see if maybe we can find some common ground. But what do, do you, you make... like this movie? I did like this movie. Okay. And so I want to know, what do you make of Craven's dreamlike atmosphere and much more fantastical villain? Especially compared to Friday the 13th, which at least while well, the franchise would go on to weird uh, situations with Jason Voorhees... And the original, he's not there. It's very much a cut-and-dry slasher. So, I'm curious. What did you make of the atmosphere of Nightmare on Elm Street? Uh, um, I think that it is a good try. <laughs> a good try. And this is why. Because when whenever they're in the dreams, they end up in this, like, maintenance area. This uh, There are a lot of pipes around. There's, like, steam coming off of random stuff. Yes. And given the, the story that Nancy's mom tells about the original Freddy Krueger... Spoiler. <laughs> okay. Spoiler warning, folks. I mean, these are... We're spoiling all three of these movies. <laughs> like, let's be honest. Like, You've had time to catch up. It's been, what, 40 years almost? Yeah. So... That I'm assuming that that's where the original Freddy Krueger died, like that that plantation area. Well, not a not a plantation, like a some kind of industrial plant. Yes, this building they uh, that yeah he died and it burned down with him in it. Okay, I don't think that really came through until the second time I watched it because I'm like, why are these pipes and why are they walking over fire in in her dream? Um, the Visual effects uh, maybe were interesting or decent for the time, but I think I've aged very poorly. What? <laughs> oh, Christian. When what? Freddy's arms extend, he looks like a clown. He does look like a clown. It's a great effect. No. <laughs> no, it is not. A lot of the effects also look kind of stupid. Like when... <laughs> We're in the bathtub, and the bathtub is like a portal to hell, because she keeps like going under, and it's just like one weird door-shaped yellow light emanating from it. That's the door. It's I, I it's trying to go for a lot of tone when I think more production was needed. What now, in the world? This movie was made for a million bucks. The explosion of blood I liked when when they killed 
What, what's what, Nancy's boyfriend? Yes. Poor Glenn. He gets the most iconic death in the movie. As that was good. As he is sucked under and a just fountain of blood, really an eruption of blood, comes flying out of the portal in his bed. So is that just like he sliced up all of him? Because that know, was that was cool. You know, I'm just going to assume. Yeah, maybe you got like a little straw in there, kind of sucked everything out, and then put it into some sort of device that... I don't, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's obviously a <laughs> fantasy. Uh, I also, the, the knives for hands are fine. I, I, I feel like I would have liked more close-ups of his hands. The, when, when they're scraping against metal, sure. The atmosphere, I think, is a good try. I don't think it's executed perfectly. And, we you know, Foolishness, you, can, you can say that it's only a million dollars, but this is what the finished product is. And therefore, I'm going to critique what the finished product is. I mean, the fact that this movie was made for a million dollars and the visual effects are this accomplished is incredible to me. <laughs> and so I'm a little bit disappointed to hear, not that you're like a lesser person. I'm disappointed to hear that you think that the effects aren't that good because I never had that sense while I was watching the movie. And even in some of those sillier scenes, which is honestly an aspect of Freddy Krueger that I really liked... In some of those sillier scenes, they, they still, they hide it well. Like when he has the extendy arms, he's covered in shadow. So you, you know, you cover over some of the stitches there. <laughs> or when he, they, you know, they slide Freddy's face off and it's, it's disgusting and gross. And it it's gets campy. that across. No, yeah, exactly. It's campy and it works. It, it is campy, which maybe, you know, would have worked well if the movie was in on the joke. But Are you thinking the movie is somehow not in on the joke? The performances are <laughs> quite terrible. <laughs> I knew you'd have a problem here. Yeah, this is, uh, I wouldn't argue uh, this is anybody's finest hour, except for Robert <laughs> England, who is Freddy Krueger himself. He's <laughs> giving the performance of a lifetime. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, I, I, unfortunately, uh, it, it sounds like we very much... Uh, we very much split in terms of the production values, the the, the set design, and some of the, the visual effects, some of these other aspects, because I loved it and you did not. But we can agree that the, the acting here, not particularly strong, unfortunately. And I felt bad for, for Heather Langenkamp. She is has become a well-known actress because of this movie. This is her most iconic role. She didn't appear in a ton of movies in her career. And this is the, the big one for her. And, and unfortunately, there are too many moments where... She is not able to to really sell what's going on, whether it's cracking a smile when she shouldn't or just not being able to ramp up to the, the heights of fear and terror that we're, we want from our screen queens. Wait, okay. Is Johnny Depp the guy who sleeps with the first girl who dies? Christian, are you telling me you don't know what Johnny Depp looks like? Bro, he changes his face every single time. Not when he's like... 20 years old <laughs> his first movie but yes it's that dude right <laughs> no he's glenn johnny depp is glenn the guy who looks like johnny depp yeah what about the guy who was in jail rod it's it, it, his he's cast as i it, his first name is jsu which i think i, I don't know if sure, that's a, a nickname sure. it might be sue it might be jsu i'm not sure but his last Actually, name is garcia johnny so. depp does look much more like glenn than rod you're right <laughs> well it's because he is glenn christian <laughs> he plays the part Okay, okay. So, Rod, well, is not great. Um, anyway, yeah. but but uh, you can tell that he's. You can tell that a lot of these actors are trying, but it it's. I think that this is both a fault of the actors and, and the director. This is. I don't think Wes Craven is a director of actors. 
Let, I mean, let me, let me typically in, in horror movies, you're not necessarily bringing on a director of actors. <laughs> you're bringing on someone who can evoke Ari a frightening Aster. atmosphere. <laughs> Ari Aster. Sure. I mean, who was like, the guy from who was the guy who directed The Northman? Robert Eggers. Robert Eggers. Yeah. I mean, I mean, those. I mean, Robert Eggers is a different animal because he is deeply committed Rosemary's to these. Rosemary's Baby. Uh, frighteningly realized historical recreations. I mean, Rosemary's Baby, is that Roman Polanski? Right? That's Roman Polanski. Right, who, I mean, Roman Polanski, for all of the heinous uh, crap he's done in his life, I mean, of course, he is regarded as a director of skill. But those are those are three people who are made, who have made horror movies. And in, ter- in terms of just horror movies in general, uh, often you're not necessarily trying to find someone who is a gifted director of actors. Not that they can't the direct Halloween actors, movie. but... Even David the original Green? Halloween movie, I mean, John Carpenter was like, I don't like that movie, but the acting is not the reason why. Well, well sure. Yeah, I mean, John Carpenter's great. I'm, I'm just saying that, like, you can list off I, no, no, no. Like, okay, these but examples. If there are horror movies that have good acting in them. You can't tell me that I can't critique the acting oh, of this horror movie. Critique away. I'll, so, jo- I'll join with you. I'm just saying that, like, Wes Craven, on Wes Craven is not being a director is of actors. He's not a director of actors, but <laughs> the, it's need, you need to be at least competent in it because no one, it's like you said, it's no one's shining hour. And, and moving forward, these people are pretending to, 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 to fall into, you know, this atmospheric space, like, place. And they're so bad at it. <laughs> it's, it's it's sad but true. I mean, I wouldn't <laughs> say a lot of these performances are terrible. I, I would say they're they're like a lot of them are not good. Unfortunately, Ronnie Blakely, for example, her character, it's not. The, Nancy's mother, she oh. is dealing with alcoholism, unfortunately, and her character is often seemingly in a, a drunken stupor or at least in an alcohol influenced mood. And she has to give a lot of these these sort of strained monologues and tell these stories of her past and why she's looking out for Nancy. But it's it does not work, especially in the context of this movie. I, I don't think we needed the angle of her mom being an alcoholic. And it's sort of pop... Like, there are moments where it's unintentionally funny, where she pulls gin bottles separated? out of nowhere. No. So her parents are never seen together. Right, because her dad, who's the lieutenant at the police department in I town... I don't think they have a scene together. If they do, it's like one. And and he is on the hunt for this alleged killer who has killed Nancy's friend Tina after everything goes down with her and Freddy Krueger. And so, yeah, it, it's a weird family dynamic that gets set up here where dad's basically never home. But I think I'd at least read one review where that's maybe intentional on the part of Wes Craven and... In terms of having a lot of these teenagers who are off on their own a lot. And their parents are easily duped. We have There's a funny scene early on where they they get Glenn to stay over with the girls by pulling up a boombox to play airport noises. Because he's got a cousin who lives by the airport. Calls home and talks to his mom over the fake airport noises to make her think that's where he is. And we know that... Tina's mom is very absent, has this boyfriend who's uninterested in Tina and disappears to Vegas, I think, while her daughter is killed. So that that might be part of it, having these parents and adult figures who are disconnected from the kids. And that's part of the slasher feeling, right? Where a lot of times it's teenagers or college students, young people who are not being influenced positively by the adults in their life and they're, you know, promiscuous and 
drinking alcohol and smoking drugs, and that's that's why the killer comes after them. And so it's it's sort of part of the atmosphere. Thing about that is that Freddy Krueger is a child molester, child murderer. Freddy Krueger is a child murderer. <laughs> well, he was originally going to be a child molester, but Wes Craven changed the script. But either way. Like, okay. Child criminal. Yes. Yeah. So, and and so he was, I, I mean, we don't know what aged children he was murdering, but now he's like set his sights on teenagers, except he's also attacking Nancy's mom. For some, it's I for a very clear reason though. Because Nancy's mom is the one who kills him. Right. Yes. And I, I don't. His motivations to me are not always clear. Like, is he attacking these kids because they are related to the people who killed him? Yes. Or is he only attacking these kids because they're kids? Probably also that. Like, I don't think we necessarily need to dive deeply into the the motivations of a killer in a slasher movie M- mrs Voorhees had motivation she's going to attack anyone be- who is related to this camp yeah i mean that, that's freddy krueger <laughs> doesn't have motivations necessarily he's a, a child murderer who was killed by vigilante parents and so he returns as some sort of supernatural figure to continue to haunt the town like that's that's kind of it that's all we need then I, I would have just rather, I don't know. I It's just, he if he only killed these teenagers, I'd be okay with it. Except the interest that he has on Nancy's mom and, and the connection that they like tie into it muddles it for me. But even even his the interest in Nancy's mom, that really doesn't factor into the movie until close to the very end. And most of the time, Nancy is just trying to figure out what's going on with her and her friends and their seemingly related dreams. And for, I mean, this is a 90 minute movie and for 75 of the 90 minutes, Freddie is entirely chasing after Tina, Glenn, Rod, and Nancy. Sure. Sure. Fine. This, this movie's weird. This, this is, Oh, it's definitely weird. (laughs) It's, it's a very, very different type of movie than Friday the 13th is. We, and I I will say Scream, which is a movie that I love, truly, truly love, we're going to see how it, it, it feels like Wes Craven realized the ridiculousness of this movie. I mean, I think, I, I, I don't think he needed to realize anything. I think he was well aware because everything about Nightmare on Elm Street is pretty cohesive in terms but of then, Am it's I supposed like... to be scared? Am I supposed to be scared while watching this movie? Or am I yes. supposed to laugh at it? I mean, Christian, like, w- we can sometimes play with the balance between, like, fright and laughter. Sometimes, you know, people sometimes laugh when they're nervous. Like, these these two physical reactions can sometimes be related. And I think that's one of the beautiful parts about Freddy Krueger that sets him apart and made him so iconic is he is so weird and off-putting that he does something strange and you start to giggle but then he'll he'll attack someone he'll slash at them he'll pull off his own face like he'll do something horrifying and that immediately throws you back into that place of fear and that's what intrigued me about him so much whereas with the original Friday of the 13th you miss out on the me, iconic villain it okay Wes Craven is treating his subjects like they're ragdolls which is 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 more funny to me than anything else and kind of also reveals the characters in this movie are are ragdolls. They're not really important in any way, shape, or form. They're kind of just vehicles for us to see the extents of Freddy Krueger's power. 
And, and the reason I'm using Dahl is because when he killed, what's her name, Tina? Is Tina the first girl who dies? Yes. When he kills Tina, and even in the very, very end, when Nancy's mom is, like, sucked into the room, they move around like a Barbie doll. They're, like, exploding all over the room with, like, limbs going all over the place. And then, and, like, Tina is grabbed, and she sort of flings onto the ceiling, and she's, like, be, obviously being held there. But is that what you're talking about? Yes. Like, yeah. And and to me, like, the horror that they are experiencing or that is being committed to them does not come through when you're not, I don't know, when, when you're not treating the body like the way the body is, is supposed to work. And I don't know why exactly I'm saying this. It's just when I'm laughing at the kills... There are two reasons. One, either you want me to laugh at the kills, or two, you think that this is scarier, or that you think that this is a greater accomplishment in visual effects than I believe it to be. I mean, in terms of all of the actual kills, there's not a single one that made me laugh. I think it's the the, the way that Freddy carries himself at times can be darkly funny, but when in terms of the way that Tina dies, for example, it's gruesome, and there's nothing funny about it to me. It's, even though, yeah, she's being flung around the room, like, that scene is scary. It, not not in that I was, like, wetting my bed, but it, it made me wince. It was gross. This is also a very exploitative movie. Like, when Nancy is in the bathtub and she falls asleep in the tub, by the way, what a stupidly written scene. What? Nancy's mom knocks on door. By the way, okay, so everyone, Nancy's taking a bath. You know, she's just in the bath and she's like nodding off. And I'm like, sure, I guess. Why not? To this point, she is not sleeping because Freddy Krueger keeps coming to her in her dreams and her friend got murdered by this dude. Nancy's mom knocks on the bathroom door and says, Hey, Nancy, don't fall asleep in the tub. You could drown. (laughs) And then walks away. What? Frick was that and the thing is like as she is falling asleep before the knock you see freddy's hand like come up and it blocks like it's basically right in between her legs hovering over where her vagina would be i mean it's one of the best shots in the movie it's kind of to me it was creepier and like we were going more for the shot than we are going to see this woman in peril and so, you know, but, I guess, forgive me for believing that Freddy Krueger was a child molester the first time, but it feels 100%. much more so like he is... But, I mean, that, the reason I say voyeuristically that's... viewing it, and it, it, it's not done the way Mrs. Voorhees was doing it, almost. The, it fe- keep, please yeah, go. The go. reason I say that's one of the best shots in the movie, it, it's just one of the best examples of just visual storytelling, whereas a lot of times, especially in Friday the 13th, there's not a ton of genuine... Uh, use of the camera to tell and communicate. A lot of times the camera is sort of just like following along and seeing what happens. The, the camera was doing a lot in front of the 13th, which is a movie that I do not I mean, like. Yeah, like the point of view, yes, absolutely. But uh, but again, there's not a lot of inspired shots, I would say. Like nothing from that movie that particularly sticks in my head except for the kills, for example. But in Nightmare on Elm Street, this particular moment, so much of slasher movies, there there's this complicated relationship with sexuality. And obviously there's all kinds of articles on sex in the slasher movie, and you can look that up on your own time. But in this movie, Nancy is the, of, of course, you know, she's the main character, and she's the one person who is sexually pure. Her friend Tina and, her friends Tina and Rod have a, a sexual relationship, and they're the first people killed. And her boyfriend, Glenn, is, uh, I think... In a way where he's not necessarily pressuring her, pressuring her inappropriately. 
is very clear with Nancy that he would like to uh, start having sex in their relationship, but she's not ready. And we see the ways where sex and the slasher are linked explicitly in that scene, where, of course, the violent hand, exactly like you said, covers her vagina, her private area, and while she's in the bath. And we, we see sex and horror linked so perfectly in that moment. And it's like an emblematic shot of the entire slasher idea. And that's why I, I found it I don't think it's an so emblematic compelling. thing of the slasher idea because the kills aren't all resembling that. I mean, it's not that the kills resemble that. It's who the characters are. It's, it's not saying that they all have to be killed while they're having sex. But this isn't like a mesh. It, it doesn't feel like a mesh of sex and horror. It feels like we're picking and choosing when we want to combine sex and horror. I'm, I'm, I'm really just talking about the slasher as a genre where we see throughout these movies, it's the, the angelic final girl heroine who escapes. In Halloween, for example, uh, you know, why am I forgetting her name again? Jamie? Lori? Yes, Lori is the sort of the studious, bookish girl who cares for kids and is not out sleeping with her boyfriend, shouldn't even have a boyfriend. It's her friends who are sexually active, drinking, doing drugs. They're the ones who were killed off by Michael Myers. Again, it's not an always explicit where, uh, you know, Michael Myers, he saw his sister having sex and killed her when he was a child. It's not always made explicit like that. But the slasher movie often finds this killer pursuing sexually promiscuous or morally, you know, gray, whatever you want to say, teens, people who are drinking and doing drugs and, and doing quote-unquote bad things. And it's the quote-unquote good girl or good boy who escapes. And that's what I'm getting at. And that, that like, this is just it, part it of is. the genre. And it's, it is an element of this movie. And that moment know. is so key to I, just I, the I understanding don't see of it in context with the movie. I, I don't see that. And, and uh, you don't we see sh- what? I, I don't see the sex. Like, I don't see the sexuality. I don't see the, the, the trying to punish or that the sexuality is what's getting to, or is like the reason that these kids are dying. I see... And again, it's not like an explicit no, reason No, I see a movie. creep. It's just part of the genre. I see a creep. That's yeah, the only I mean, thing. exactly. He's horrifying. He's so creepy. <laughs> He's a child murderer. Like... I, I, no, I, I don't know. It, it when, it's, it's, it's not something that is appealing to me in this movie or that even comes across as me looking at freddy krueger as a creep i'm more so looking at the movie as creepy well yes i mean i let's, guess no no like, no let's, West wait, it's too, creepy i like, do in this movie yes um i i, I don't think this movie is particularly voyeuristic where where it definitely could have been in that scene slasher in movie. that scene i have an issue okay well we, um did you want to talk about the ending because i have one other gripe with this movie or at least one one other thing with this movie that i'm not a fan of sure i mean is it does it pertain to the ending no. is it okay so the, the ending's stupid but before no. before we get to the ending which apparently you think is stupid and i probably i would have bet a bajillion dollars on you saying that what else do you have a gripe with christian that i can hopefully defend for some reason i don't like that we start with tina i feel like we dwell on tina for too long and nothing becomes of her I think it's great when you start on a girl who isn't the original girl in order to kill her quickly. As you wink at Scream, which we'll get to <laughs> next week. Very famously does not start with the main character. It's it's just that Tina is presented almost as the main character. And when we shift from Tina to Nancy, I don't think that's seamless. Yeah, the, the opening scene itself, I love. It, it's incredibly sure. evocative. We see Tina wandering through... My, uh, Freddy's creepy, you know, uh, nightmarish treatment plant, or whatever this is. 
as the opening credits roll. And it's just like an awesomely done scene, especially on a budget with really just, you know, great lighting, great effects. You really feel like you're in a horror movie while you're watching it. And yet I do understand what you're saying with starting off with Tina, it is confusing to then shift perspectives into Nancy and, and what Craven obviously is doing is setting up this initial attack from Freddy, kind of familiarizing us with him and wanting to know what kind of dreams that Tina is having. So that by the time we fully shift into Nancy's perspective, we understand the threat, obviously. But I do see what you're saying in that it, it's not the most seamless sharing of the screen. I, I think for me, it didn't really make a negative impact, but I can understand how for you it might, or anyone really, could be jarring. Then let's talk about the ending. And let's talk about the ending. So just to, of course, talk this through in case you've missed the movie and you're listening to spoilers anyway because you love me and Christian. And we, we do get to a point where Nancy has started to pull things out of her dreams with her. She burns herself in one of the dreams and the burn persists when she wakes up. She manages to somehow pull Freddy's hat out of a dream, which is pretty bizarre, of course. And she has seen her two friends and her boyfriend now killed by Freddy. There's a police scene across the street at Glenn's house as they're trying to figure out what happened to him. And she booby traps her own home in an attempt to pull Freddy out of the dream and kill him in real life while also getting her dad to see what, what's been going on. She is ostensibly successful, not before Freddy has a strange supernatural moment with her mother and and sort of kills, sort of just disapparates her mother uh, but then Nancy tries to defeat Freddy by standing up to him and <laughs> not killing him and saying, I don't believe in you and you can't get me. You're just a dream. And then she wakes up. Her friends are there. She goes out of her home, gets in the car with Glenn, Tina, and Rod, and the convertible closes up. And what is it but the eye? Uh, of course, Freddy's red and green stripes on the top of the convertible. She realizes what's happening. Freddy drives the car away mysteriously before reaching out of the door to pull Mrs. Thompson in through the window of the door. And then the credits roll. And you are left wondering what the heck is going on. <laughs> Was it a dream? Was it not? Was it a dream and not? Who knows? Christian, I knew that you would not like this moment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm curious how you would describe why you don't like it. Even though I could try, but, you know, you're, you are you and have your own ideas. <laughs> it tries too much to backpedal. When, when she is like, I'm going to use the power of courage to love, wake up. Love the power of courage. Right. <laughs> uh, and then her mom is fine and all her friends are fine. Automatically, I'm suspicious. Yes, I was suspicious as well. I mean, there's a weird sort of there's, foggy atmosphere. There's, it's, something seems off. Yeah, it's way too heavy-handed in trying to undermine stuff in the movie. It's way too heavy-handed in trying to get you to, I, I, I don't know, choose what it is that's actually a dream and what's not. And what I also hate is when he pans the camera over for us to see three little girls playing jump rope. What was the we haven't nursery even, rhyme? Yeah, we haven't even sung the song at all. There, there's these little girls who jump rope and they they sing this tune about Freddy Krueger that I guess was written for the movie. I thought it was like a real nursery rhyme of some what is kind. It? But 
I'm finding it. One, two, Freddy's coming for you. Three, four, better lock your door. Five, six, grab your crucifix, which we didn't even touch on at all. There's a lot of weird, like, religious imagery. Seven, eight, gonna stay up late. Nine, ten, never sleep again. So, which I'm assuming is a rhyme that they made after the original child murderer, Freddy Krueger, that permeated this town. By the way, don't do that. That's... If there's a child murderer, just just don't make up a rhyme about him afterwards. That's so creepy. Maybe Netflix with this new Jeffrey Dahmer series that's out. Yo, though. <laughs> Netflix has released so many Jeffrey Dahmer pieces of content. It's yeah, it's gross. <laughs> I don't like. Do we need? We definitely five don't. Different Jeffrey Dahmer. We definitely shows? don't. No, we don't. Anyway, it is. It doesn't know what it's doing, and instead of leaving you with a sense of ambiguity, it's leaving you with the sense of. I don't know, like, betrayal that what the movie had set up so far isn't coming to fruition. Because, yes, you know, I'm not exactly sure how many of them are dead at this point. Or, or like, what Freddy's doing. My gut reaction is that all of them are dead except for Nancy. But it's also just... Their deaths don't matter anymore to me, then. Yeah, I... With the ending, although I knew you would not like it at all, I, I struggled with it, too, in that... Like you're saying, you sort of want some satisfaction at the end of your slasher movies. You know, you want to know that either the the killer wins or loses, and you want an answer there. And especially when it's left unclear. If there's an ambiguity as to whether or not the killer lives, I get that. Yes, 100% that. But in in this situation, we don't even know what's going on with Nancy, whether she lives or dies. And I think that ambiguity could be really compelling to just, just... to someone else out there i i'm not sure it's not something i hated i, I kind of love just the end on an extremely unclear situation and, and let the viewer decide for themselves if nancy's awake or if she's asleep if she's dead or if she's alive i i will say i i just ultimately left me with a very confused and complicated feeling because otherwise we have been pretty clear on the the dream versus reality and sure the rules are are kind of iffy you know she can pull freddy out of dreams and and whatnot um but with the ending itself yeah it's it's a little just it leaves you wanting just a little bit more clarity and not that explicit clarity is always the best answer and and that ambiguity can't be compelling like you're saying but I'm sort of with you, uh, although I didn't hate it. I I just found it a little bit unsatisfying. Uh, When I I really liked most of the movie building up to that. I will will say I liked this more than Friday the 13th. Or I think it's a better made movie than Friday the 13th. I I would definitely agree with you there. It sounds like I liked Nightmare quite a bit more than you in general. But yeah, I would say better movie than Friday the 13th. And Wes Craven, to me, is a better director than Sean S. Cunningham. Especially in using what budget he has to realize a compelling fantastical reality whether it's the the dream scenarios that get weirder and weirder or just being able to to make a scary and compelling and creepy ass villain (laughs) i think uh that he freddy's presence throughout the movie of course uh compared to mrs Voorhees in friday the 13th he's far more compelling even though um of course mrs Voorhees scenes are pretty solid at the end of that movie to me, Nightmare is definitely a better franchise kicker off, kicker offer than the original Friday the 13th, one I had a pretty good time with, even if the ending left me a little wanting and the acting absolutely left me wanting. Christian, any any final thoughts on Nightmare on Elm Street? I don't like this movie. Christian doesn't like this movie, but I do. And in case you'd like to try it for yourself, it is on HBO Max, as with most of the sequels, if not all of them right now. So 
who knows if that will last through October or beyond October or not, but I'll probably check out one of those sequels at least, and I encourage you to do it as well. So check it out, HBO Max. And of course, that is our show. As we look ahead next week, like we discussed, we will be getting to Scream. Finally, a movie that Christian likes. <laughs> and another one directed by Wes Craven. So I've we'll get to Scream so many times. Check in with Wes Craven at what, 10, 12 years after 11? Nightmare on Elm Street? 11, I think. Is, El- this is 84. 84 this so is when Scream. Scream is 95 or 96? I don't remember. Eh, it's one of those years. It's in the 90s. And we'll get to, I'll finally get to see Scream, and Christian gets to return to one of his Halloween favorites. I don't believe Scream is streaming anywhere, so go ahead and rent it, borrow from the library, check it out at the video rental store, wherever you can get your non-streaming movies, and join us next week on the show. Uh, of course, if you have reached this point, we do thank you for your support. It means a lot as we record these shows and put them out there into the world. It means a lot that there's people listening and following along with us. Uh, and so there are a few things that you can do to support the show. Number one, please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, leave us a rating or a review if applicable. Helps us reach new listeners on those platforms and warms my little, little heart and Christian's big heart. So do please give us those five-star ratings. We'd love to shout those out here on the show. You can also send us an email to cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com. We're regularly checking that inbox and taking in listener feedback when applicable. Uh, We've used listener ideas to create blends of the month here on the show. We've brought people on after they emailed us their ideas for a show. Uh, We really sincerely love you guys. And so would love to know your thoughts on whether it's a movie you want us to cover, a blend you want us to pull together, or hey, maybe you think you deserve a guest spot on the show. No promises, but why not send us an email? It's cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com. And of course, you can follow myself and the show on Twitter, Christian on Instagram, and the both of us on Letterboxd, where we are regularly rating and reviewing the things that we are watching. You can go find Christian's reviews for these movies and call him a, a, a silly boy for rating them so poorly. And then you can like mine and praise me because I need it. Christian, any final thoughts for the listeners at home? No, not any. None? Nope. Not a single one? Not a single one. Not even like a, a witty anecdote to share? Charming story from your life? No. Peace, pearl of wisdom? Pearl of wisdom. Uh, pearl of wisdom. Don't try to hold down three jobs. Uh, uh, that is that is a good pearl of wisdom there. <laughs> Fingers crossed for you, Christian. And until next time, this has been the Cinema Drip Podcast. <laughs>